0: Good morning, Foothill Church. (laughs) Today's scripture is found in Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 through 42. Please stand for the word of the Lord. both you and the people of Israel and go, serve the Lord as you have said, take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done, as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Saccath about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This is God's word. You may be seated. Hey, good morning, Foothill. We're back.
1: 50, 58 weeks ago, we went uh, indoors. and, uh, 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 out, Well, no, not indoors. We, we moved out of here, started going online, and, and, uh, and now we're back, and praise God for that. He's been good to us. He's sustained us, and uh, we're grateful. Uh, for God's provision for us. Um, uh, Welcome to you all in here. Those of you who are outside, it's good to have you here or even online, wherever you are. We're just glad that you've joined us today. And listen, before we started, I just want to recognize Shane and Katie Marks right down here. I knew he's like shaking his head. I knew you were going to do this, right? (laughs) Shane, wave your hand. Come on. Just let people see you. There they are. Our former worship pastor and, and executive pastor and his wife, they moved to Kansas and so we don't love them anymore. And uh, because they left us, so no, we love you guys and grateful to have them. So a lot of you can catch up with them uh, afterwards. Uh, Exodus chapter twelve. Uh, we will finish this. I problem, promise we're going to get through Exodus twelve uh, next week. But um, uh, I think one of the things let me just let me just help you when it comes to reading your Bible. Uh, some of us, you know, it's, we, we all struggle with, I want, I want to understand more about what the Bible is saying. I want to get more out of it. And let me say, one of the questions that you can ask in your scripture reading that will always produce fruit is simply to ask, what is this telling me about God. How does this teach me about God? Because remember, we are kind of programmed to think that any literature is really about us. We put ourselves in the center. We think, we think it sort of points to us. We want to identify with the main characters. If I'm reading Harry Potter, right, what, how am I like Harry or Ron or Hermione, right? I'm never thinking, what is this telling me about J.K. Rowling? right? I'm, 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 I'm wondering, I'm looking at it from a character standpoint. But, but listen, what we have to recognize is that God is both the author and the main character. So anytime we want to know about God, we come to Scripture and say, man, what is this telling me about God? And this is really important. It's really important that you think rightly about God. A.W. Tozer has this famous quote that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. For this reason, the most important fact about any man is not what he may say or do, but what he in his heart conceives God to be like. We tend to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of individual Christians, but of the company of Christians that composes the church always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So Christian, even if you're not a Christian, what do you think about when you think about God? It's the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing about Foothill Church. Do you, do you think that, uh, that God is angry or disappointed quite often with you, then you will you will live out your life trying to perform for Him, trying to get you to love Him. Do you think that God is puny and weak? Then your problems will be massive. What do you think about when you think about God? That's the most important thing about you. Is God the grandfather in the sky who never pushes back on you, who never confronts sin in your life? Then you serve a powerless God who can't change What do you think about when you think about God? What I love about Exodus is it gives us this opportunity to go, who is God? Like, and God's been saying since the very beginning, remember when when Pharaoh says, who's the Lord that I should obey him? And God's going to say, I'll show you who I am. I want you to know. I want you, Pharaoh. I want Egypt to know. I want Israel. I want you, 21st century Christian, to know who I am. And so we get to see God just unveil himself because what we think about him is the most important thing about us. What what we think about him as a church is the most important thing about this church. So, so let's, let's dive in, and that's all I want to do. I just want to go, what does Exodus 12, 29 to 42 tell us about God? What do we learn? Okay, I want to give you six things. And the first thing simply is this, that God is not a respecter of persons. So look at verse 29, Again, in chapter 12, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all his servants and the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not someone dead. This is shocking, right? Now, now by the way, notice this. The worst plague in all of Exodus, gets two verses. And remember when we talked about locusts? It was like a, a whole chapter. Like it's as though what, all that Moses wants to do is state the bald facts and leave the rest to your imagination. I don't need to go into it. I don't need to, this was a horrible, horrible night. It's a little bit like the gospel writers who simply say when they come to Jesus' death, they crucified him. And and I I want you to just notice something. We don't get any response from Israel at this point. There's no um, jubilation in the street. There's no dancing on the graves of the dead people. In fact, we don't even, there's not even an indication that this this is something that God is rejoicing over. Like this is a horrific night. Can you imagine this? We had uh, a neighbor of ours this past summer, their son who was in his early 20s, uh, not because of COVID, because of cancer, passed away. Horrible. Now imagine, multiply that by every house in your neighborhood, by every house in your city. The next door app is blowing up. My son died, my son died, my son died, my son died. There's no rejoicing. I mean, God's going to tell us in Ezekiel chapter 18, He says, I, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that he should turn from his evil way? I mean, if that's the heart of God. I would say, man, I would much rather, if you will, that Pharaoh would turn. I would, it would be much more rejoicing if somebody else would turn rather than die in their wickedness. But, but, um, but, but notice, um, God visits his judgment upon everybody. This is why I say God's no respecter of persons, right? So it goes to Pharaoh's palace. It goes to the slums of Egypt. Everybody is subject. No one gets a pass, right? The wealthy can't buy their way out of God's wrath. The poor can't, you know, use pity to get out of God's wrath. God doesn't do that for anybody. There is, there is a judgment coming. No one gets his past. No privilege, no position can look at themselves and say, oh, because of this, I can be saved. Now, we see this in our system of justice all the time. A lot of people who are wealthy can sort of buy the best lawyer. They can figure ways out and they get out. That's not going to happen with God. God says, from the, from the wealthiest to the, to the most poor. Now, now think, think about this. We, we, I think we kind of tend, we tend to fall in one of those camps. We think, okay, I'm an impressive person. Man, I have really leveraged what I've been given. I'm an upstanding member of my community. I, I have done great things. I'm impressive. And, you know, people look around me and go, boy, you've really done a lot. You're a community leader, whatever. And we think, okay, that's got to count for something. Or... Or we think, um, I haven't been given the opportunities to other people. I've suffered in ways that other people haven't suffered. I've been dealt a bad hand. Do you understand? None of those things stand before God. Right? We have this symbol for justice. You, you remember what that is from maybe your classes in high school? The symbol for justice in America is it's, it's a lady and she's blindfolded, and she's holding scales. Now, now, why? Because it's supposed to be that justice doesn't get prejudiced by what's in front of them. They simply go, you know, the scales are heavier light, and that's how we decide. Well, God isn't blindfolded, of course. God is perfectly just, and nobody can influence Him. Your, your hard life can't influence Him. Your abundant life can't influence Him. Judgment is coming for everybody. Now listen, we've said this before. Exodus chapter 12 and all of Exodus is telling us and showing us what this is all about, right? What salvation is all about. And so here we find ourselves... In in the heart of this, and, 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 and there's this judgment, and this is just a precursor, this is a little foretaste, we might say, of the final judgment, what the Bible talks about as being the great day of the Lord, which will be far worse than this. Entire families, entire cultures, entire neighborhoods, entire cities coming under the judgment of God. And what's God looking for? He's not looking for pedigree. He's not looking for ethnicity. He's not looking for money right? He's not looking for re- religiosity. He's not looking for your sad circumstances. He's looking for one thing, right? He's looking for your faith, right? I mean, this is, this is Luke chapter, chapter 18 and verse 8. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? When the destroying angel passes through Egypt, will it find that people have put their faith in the means that God has given for their deliverance? The blood of the Lamb. When the Son of Man comes, will He find find faith? That's what He's looking for, faith in Jesus, right? That's the only thing. It doesn't matter how high you've climbed, how low you've sunk. God's looking for one thing. Have you put your faith in Jesus? That's what allows us to escape. God is no respecter of persons. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to see is that God always gets His way. Look at verse 31. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds uh, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Now there's a lot we could say about this, but here's what I just want you to see. Remember Jap back in, in chapter five. Pharaoh says to, to Moses, again, Who, who's the Lord that I should obey him? And now God has shown him. I've shown you the Lord. And now they are, they are told, okay, we're, we're done. And Pharaoh simply says, go and worship. Just, just leave, right? I'm going to give you everything you've asked for. You asked for your people to be set free. You asked for your flocks and herds. You asked for children and wives. I'm letting you. All that's going to go. By the way, when he says, bless me, he's not repenting. He's like, just, can you just please make sure everything's okay? There's, there's no sense in I want to worship your God. So, 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 so here, here he's finally giving, giving what Moses has been asking for throughout 10 plagues. Now Now, let's say it this way. What did the hardening of Pharaoh's heart over and over and over get him? Exactly nothing. Nothing. Because God always gets his way. Do you know this? God always, always gets his way. He's never going to be thwarted right? Remember Philippians chapter 2? So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's not saying someday all the earth will be saved. That's saying you will either bow your knee now willingly, humbly, or you will be made to bow your knee because you will finally see that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you'll bow because God always gets his way and notice this right like I said he's no respecter of persons. so from the from, from from those in the highest halls of power to those to the most terrible slums to jail cells to wherever God will always get his way from from cities to to ghettos to the countryside every knee will bow the atheist and the ambivalent every knee will bow. Donald Trump will bow. Joe Biden will bow. Kim Jong-un will bow. Xi Jinping will bow. Queen Elizabeth will bow. Every knee. And you and I will bow. Because God always gets His way. Superpowers and city councils. Every knee will bow. So, What exactly does hardening our heart against God in this life get us? Exactly nothing. Nothing. You don't win. God wins. So what, what, what are we trying to do, right? He doesn't lose. You say, yeah, I don't want to serve him. I, I want to live my life the way, or I'm going to be one of these people that sort of plays at religion and kind of does what I want to do and I sort of serve him a little bit, but I don't really, and I haven't really bowed my knee to him. You will be made to. One way or another. It's either the easy way or the hard way. The easy is now, the hard is later. It's either you are humbled in this life before God or you'll be humbled in the life to come. Because God always, always, always gets his way. We need to know that. The third thing I want you to see is that God's mercy can be severe. Now, here's what I want you to at. Look at verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. Now, skip down to verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes in the dough and they had, uh, they had brought out of Egypt for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait for, pre- for the, uh, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now we know, by the way, why they were, they had to cook in haste, why they couldn't have leavened bread, right? Because they were going to leave in haste. And this is why. They left in haste, not because it just felt like fun, let's run. Uh, they, they did it because they were thrust out. They were sent away. Uh, now, don't mistake this for fleeing for their lives. That's not what's happening because it says he brought them out like his hosts. That's, that's the idea of an army. I mean, they just came out. They, 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 they went out in, in it, probably a very orderly fashion Yet it says that Egypt was like, please leave, you're ruining our lives by being here, you've got to get out of here. Now why does that happen? Why are they thrust out? Why is there this urgency on the part of Egypt? And I want to suggest to you it's because this is what Israel needed, right? How tempting, this is all they've ever known for 400, 430 years, it's all they've ever known and now they're, they're being told they got to get out. Because surely there was some, if not most, that would say, well, you know what? God sure changed things for us, so now why don't we, maybe we could stay. Maybe we could stay right here in Egypt, and maybe, maybe now Pharaoh will pay us, and we'll get weekends and holidays and vacation, and life will be better, and we can just be here in the land of Goshen, and, and, and we don't have to leave Egypt. But, but they're thrust out and I want to suggest to you, this is one of the way things that God does this. There is a severe mercy sometimes to God. I'm sure they're afraid. Maybe we can postpone it. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. Maybe next year. Has God ever done this with you? I know what I should do. I know I'm supposed to do this. But, but I know I'm supposed to be in, not, not be in this relationship. I know I shouldn't have this job. I know, I know these things. I'm just afraid to actually do it. And then the choice is made for you, right? God comes along and goes, I'm not going to give you that option anymore. Uh, You're going to get dumped or you're going to get fired or you're going to lose those friends because you can't get into the promised land by staying in Egypt. See, God's like, I need to get, we said last week, I need to get you out of Egypt and I need to get Egypt out of you. There's no compromise in this. So God says, I, 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 I'm, uh, you can't go back home, right? I'm, I've, got to, I've got to deliver you out of this. Think about how God does this in our lives. You know, some of you like, I, I keep going back to my phone and I keep looking at it and there's stuff on there I shouldn't be seeing and I keep telling myself, I'm gonna be okay and I can get this under control. And then you lose your phone. Is that, a, is that just a mercy of God? God? to deliver you from something that has you trapped, right? God does this. You understand? There's sometimes there is a severe mercy to the goodness of God. He says, I, I'm trying to free you, not keep you in bondage to all of this. Sometimes God uses severe mercy. Number four, God gives good gifts. Look at verse uh, 35. "...the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and for gold jewelry and for clothing." And the Lord had given, given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. See, this is, this is not stealing. This isn't, you know, on their way out of town, they, they walk through and they plunder everything and, and you know, see us suckas, we, 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 you know, in your face, we got you. No, apparently they walk to their Egyptian neighbor and says, can you give us stuff for our journey? Here, take it. Take it, take the clothing, take this, go. Because God gave them favor. Israel says, man, how's this gonna work? How is it? Like, we don't have even any time to pack. There, we're being thrust out. How am I gonna take care of my children? I don't know if you remember, all the way back in chapter two, when, when, when this was first foretold to, to, Abra- uh, to, to Moses, God says to him, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. And you're going to take these clothes and you're going to put them on your children's back. Isn't that what would be worried about? Moms and dads would be like, you know, I'm okay. I'm worried about my kids. And he says, I'm going to give you clothing. I'm going to give you gold and silver so that when you're out in the wilderness and caravans with food come by, you can buy stuff. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. I'm going to give you a lot of bread and manna in the wilderness. I'm going to do all kinds of things to take care of all kinds of needs. Because God is a God who gives good gifts. And let me suggest He's done this for you. Right? He's given you things you don't deserve. I mean, what do you have, Paul's going to say, that you have not received? That car was a gift from God. That house was a gift from God. That job was a gift from God. That family is a gift from God. Whatever, right? We all have all kinds of things. We uh, We have intellect and abilities and opportunities that came to us as gifts from God. Now the question is, what will you do with them? Because here's what's going to happen with Israel in just a a little while. In in chapter 25, they're going to take that gold and they're going to erect a tabernacle. They're going to take all the clothing and all this fabric that they've been given, and they're going to build this wonderful, you know, tabernacle, tabernacle to God. They're going to leverage it for God's glory. And then in chapter 32, they're going to erect a golden calf, an idol, with more of the gold. It's kind of Kind of two ways of looking at how we use the good gifts God gives us, right? We either leverage it for His glory or we use it for our own. Remember what we said idols are? All that idols do is I'm going to them because I, I, I look around at the nations and boy, look what they do and look how they serve. And, and, and I want the prosperity and the wealth and health that they have. And so we go to those things. We go to those idols and here's, here's, here's God saying, man, what, what will we do to, with, the, with the gifts that I give you? Because you've all been given them. You know, today, actually, in Acts 29 churches is a, is a church planting Sunday. It's a day when, when, when we're remembering kind of that we want to be all about planting churches. So we talk about this to you all the time, right? We, we want to be, like, what, what better way? If God has given you means than leveraging Him for the glory of God, Rather than trying to line our own pockets, rather than keeping all of our opportunities and intellect and abilities to ourselves, God gives good gifts. What will we do with them? Number five, I want you to see God keeps His promises. So look at verse uh, look at verse thirty-seven. Moses writes, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up from them with uh, very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Now, what, what's happening there? I, I, wanna, I want you to notice that first of all, there's some obvious promises that God has kept. He's kept His promise to Pharaoh. I'm going to show you who I am. He's kept His promise to the Egypt, same thing. He's kept His promise to to, to Moses. Moses, you're going to go up and you're going to deliver my people. They're going to come out with you. They're going to listen to you. But but the promises that God is keeping are far longer, have a much uh, longer heritage than just just Exodus, uh, you know, 1 through 12. If you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, you get what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. And what happens in the Abrahamic covenant? God comes to Abraham. uh, he, He calls him out and says to him, Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What's happening? They are coming out a great nation. They are coming out exactly what God said would happen. Now, By the way, um, if you were to go back to Genesis 12 and look at the context there, Abraham doesn't even have one child. And God says, I'm going to make you a multitude, a great nation. And so maybe Abraham's thinking, trying to conceive of what that's going to look like, right? No one would have conceived that the way God's going to do that is push you into a land called Egypt where you're going to be slaves for 430 years. See, what's the point? God always keeps His promises, but He also very often does them in ways we would never, ever anticipate. This is part of the walk of faith, Christian, is that we look and go, God knows what He's doing, God's got my best interest at heart, but very often He is working in ways that I don't understand and seem difficult and seem harder than they need to be. So God's making them a multitude, but also notice he says, they come out with a mixed multitude. It's not just a great nation, but it's a mixed multitude. I wanna suggest to you, this is the the fulfillment of the other part, at least the beginning of the fulfillment of the other part of the Abrahamic covenant, that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This isn't just a Jewish thing. It's not just for Israel. It's this, in fact, what's interesting, if you saw the Hebrew, the the, the word for Hebrew in in scripture, you know, it's this this form. What they did to talk about the mixed multitude is they just took the, the word Hebrew and they, they moved the letters around as if to say, these are just non-Hebrews. They're, you know, rabble, whatever you want to say. It's this, it's this idea that they are not Israelites. They're not Hebrews. God is saying God never intended this to be a merely Jewish thing. He meant to us, He meant Gentiles to be grafted in to the people of God. So God is keeping that promise. This is what God always does. You know this? I'll never leave you or forsake you. In this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I mean, there is promise after promise after promise. God does that. But now now watch this. The last thing I want you to see is that God watches over His people. Look uh, Look at verse 40. The time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years on that very day all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. There's that idea of marching like an army. They're not running for the hills. They're just marching methodically. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Isn't this I love this. That word watch can be translated keep, same word. Uh, very often in the Old Testament, it's this idea of God is sort of brooding over, God is making sure everything turns out exactly as He had planned. He is watching meticulously over them to give them the gold and silver they need to buy things, to give their children clothing, to make sure everything is taken care of according to His promise. And, and this is a theme you're going to see throughout Scripture, just just let me just take up this challenge at some point. Just go to a concordance, go and just look for all the instances of the word watching or watch or keeping and look how often it refers to God. Let me give you one example. I love this. Psalm 121 is what's called a psalm of sense. It's what the Israelites would sort of the, would, would recite to one another as they made their annual pilgrimage up to the temple. It's a very familiar psalm, but listen to this. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? Right, that's a question. He's not saying my help comes from the hills. He's saying I don't know where I'm gonna be helped from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now look at this. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. Is your shade at your right hand? The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God keeps and guards his people. And so, what's happening in Exodus 12? He's saying this is what God did. And now, he says, the, 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 the right response to that keeping is what? That then they watch in return. Isn't this interesting? I want to suggest to you, like the gospels being played out here, they don't watch in order to get God to keep and guard and watch them. They watch because God has watched them. And here again, here's another theme in Scripture that you're going to see that the people of God, what Israel is doing and what the annual feast would do would remind them, hey, let's stay up and let's watch, right? This is a symbol of our trust in God, that He cares for us and that He's coming back for us. And so what do we do as New Testament Christians? We do what Paul says. Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, man, I knew your conversion was real. I I knew because you had turned from idols to serve God. And then he says this, to wait for his son from heaven. To wait for, there it is. It's this watching, it's this waiting. I'm waiting, I'm looking. He reminds the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to Timothy he says, henceforth there is laid it for me, Paul, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also those who have loved his appearing. There's that idea. They're, they're waiting, they're watching. I'm looking out for the appearing of God. This is what New Testament Christians do. And the writer to the Hebrews, he wants to encourage us not to give up, not to punt on our faith and says, Christ will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly. Waiting for him. We watch, we wait eagerly with all patience. Do you see this? This is a beautiful picture that we get. And by the way, this isn't all of God, right? Like God's like an iceberg. We've said this before. You know, nine-tenths of him sits under the surface that we can never know. He's just revealed to us this little tip of the iceberg to show us all that he is. He, he is a, he's no respecter of persons. You're not going to get a free pass. Have you put your trust in His provision, the Lamb that was slain since the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ? He always gets His way. It's either the hard way or the easy way. Which way will you choose? Will you harden your heart like Pharaoh and it'll get you nothing? Or will you soften it and believe? His mercy can be severe. God knows what He's doing. And some of you are experiencing this right now. Man, it's, I, I feel like God is thrusting me out. Hear me. God's being merciful to you and you will look back and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. He gives good gifts. What will you do with them? Use them for yourself or leverage them for him? He keeps his promises always. Not in ways we think about, but always keeps his promises and he watches over his people. And so, because that's our God, we watch for Him. We wait for Him. He's coming. He, he hasn't stopped caring. He, he, he's listening. He's not absent. He hasn't forgotten about us. And one day, He will come to rescue us in His time, in His way. The answer is simply, will you trust the God that Exodus reveals? Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we we thank you. We thank you for your word and we we thank you for the ways that it reveals uh, you to us. Um, And how we get to learn who you are. That uh, God, we want to think rightly. This is the most important thing about us. And so I pray, instruct us, teach us and show us who you are as we open your word. As we uh, dive into your word throughout the week. As we listen and, and take in your word here on Sunday, God, speak to us, I pray. And God, I pray for those who are here or listening or outside who, who perhaps would say, man, I've, I've, I've hardened my heart against him. And I'm, I'm maybe expecting God to give me some credit, give me some slack for things that I've done. When you say, man, it's not on any of those things. It's because you put your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus Christ. And so today, God, I pray that that would happen. I pray that people would put their hope there. I pray that those of us who have put it there would remind ourselves again that, that, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so, Father, help us. We, we, we want to be anchored once again into this great hope that you've set out for us. Build our faith because we serve a big God. We serve a gracious God. We serve a gift-giving God. We serve a God who always gets his way. And So may we walk before you with fear and trembling, I pray.